Hey, Bridge. Did you, did you hear the rumor? He's alive. <laughs> He's alive. He's not dead. He's alive right here in this place today. So good to see you guys on Resurrection Sunday right here at the bridge. Those of you that are watching online, so glad you're with us today. We just got a, a wonderful chance to come together and celebrate. If you're here for the first time, please make yourself at home. We'll treat you so many ways you're bound to like one of them. You know, just enjoy yourself. So glad you're here today. Let's get into message time. I got a little pop test for you, a little survey right up front. Let's see how well we do. I'm going to say a phrase and... Uh, and then I want you to complete it. As soon as you pick up on what the phrase is, you, you complete it out loud, okay? Can we do that together? Here we go. If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Somebody said it is. Well, it probably is. Yeah, it is. All right. We make money the old-fashioned way we earn it. That's right. There's no such thing as a free lunch. You got that one. There is no gain without pain. Come on. There ain't no gym rats in this whole church. Come on. No pain without gain. Okay. We blew that one. Let's try this one. God helps those who help themselves. That's Bible, right? No, it's not. But we know that one. Several truth is we've all been trained pretty well in most of those phrases, except the no pain, no gain one. Apparently you got some work to do there. But uh, let's just be honest, guys. It's one of the things that makes our nation great. We believe in elbow grease. Can I get an amen? amen? We believe in sweat equity. We love work ethic. We call it the great American work ethic, and it is what defines our society, defines our culture, and makes us great. Now, there's a problem with that, though, that I need to identify right up front, and that simply is this. Valuing the great American work ethic at the level that we do can sometimes make it hard to relate to God because, are you ready for this? Lean in. Are you ready? God doesn't operate on the great American work ethic. He doesn't. Now, that may not seem like a big deal to you, but the truth is it creates real confusion when we value work ethic on the one hand, and then we add to that the truth that our God operates by grace. Uh, so many people, so many fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ never learn to enjoy the Christian life because they're trying to take the, the work ethic and put it into their salvation. They're trying to tie those things together simply because they don't understand grace. So here's what I need you to know. While a great, strong work ethic is huge when it comes to building a society, grace is at the heart of any relationship with God. In fact, the more you know about God's grace, the closer you feel to God, the more drawn to Him you are, the more desire you have to be in relationship with Him. And, and I'm here to tell you this morning, grace is not just what God does, grace is who God is. Psalm 145 verse 8 says it this way, the Lord is, you didn't think I was going to do all the talking today, did you? <laughs> the Lord is gracious and compassionate. That's who he is. And what does he do as a result of that? He is therefore slow to anger and rich in love. Now, now the sad reality is this. There's an awful lot of people who, who, who are Christians and they think they know that, but they don't live like they know that. They're like the Galatian church that fell into this trap of, of being saved by grace, but then trying to live out their salvation by works. 
They're trying to be good enough. They're trying to please God. It's almost like we've got this mentality that says, you know, this unpleasable cop is watching us with a clipboard ready for us to mess up so he can zap us. And if we get it wrong, uh, then we're in trouble. If we get it right, he'll pat us on the head and say, good boy, good girl. That's not who God is. That's not how God works. He is not the cosmic policeman ready for you to mess up. Our God is gracious and compassionate. He will not, if you don't do enough, will not say you are, forget about it, you are worthless. You see, the problem that I've seen in, in all these years now of, of, of being a pastor and walking with the Lord is I, I often see two kinds of people in the body of Christ. I see some who, again, accept grace for their salvation, but then they try to keep their salvation by working hard enough. And then I see others who live so afraid that God's going to find out what's going on in their lives, they keep him at arm's length all the time. Either way, you never enjoy what God made for you in terms of this life that is fulfilling. So what we're going to do is we're going to spend the next five weeks unpacking this thing called amazing grace. It is a multifaceted diamond, and we're going to look at all five or five, at least five of the facets of that diamond. We're going to unpack and work together. In fact, I'm going to say to you right now, if you're a first-time guest with us today uh, or, or you're watching online, here's what I'm, I'm going to ask a favor of you, okay? Uh, give me an hour a week for the next five weeks. Even if you're not sure that you like this church or you're not sure that if you like the music or you're not sure if you like me or whatever, just give me an hour a week for the next five weeks because I believe that if you will learn what the Bible actually says about grace, it will change your life. It will change the way you live your life. It'll change your relationship with God. At the end of that five weeks, you say, okay, thanks. This isn't the church for me. We'll shake hands and part as friends, but just consider right now, give me an hour a week for the next five weeks and let's unpack this wonderful thing called grace. In fact, there's a card in your seat back, I'm gonna, or in your seat, just I'm going to ask you to take it home with you, put it on your refrigerator, give it to somebody who needs to know about grace. Give it to a legalist and say, let me help you see what the Bible actually says about this thing called grace, and let's learn how we can live that way. Because we're going to talk about what it means to be restored by grace, to be transformed, changed by grace. We're going to talk about what it means to grow in grace, and ultimately, we're going to talk about what it means to live this gracious kind of lifestyle that Jesus came to give us. Today, I really just want to lay the groundwork for all of this by giving you five foundational truths about this thing called grace. In fact, I put it into an acrostic called grace just to help you remember it. Uh, you can go to the Bridge app. If you haven't done that yet, you can download that on your smartphone or your tablet. Go to the Bridge app. All of the notes that I'm going to share with you today are there. The scriptures are there. You can save it to your journal and take your own notes and save them, share them with other people. And you can just email me at info at bridgechurch.cc. I'd be more than happy to send you the notes, the very notes that I'm using here, you can have them for your own study as we unpack this amazing thing called grace. Let's get into it today. Grace is, as I said, and an acrostic starts with the letter G. Grace is God's gift to me. Grace is God's gift to you. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 and 4. Everyone has sinned. Who's everyone? Everyone means who? Look at somebody and say, he's talking about you. Just look at somebody and say, he's talking about you. Everyone has sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. Don't believe it. Ask your wife. And all need, what does all mean when you see all in the Bible? 
It means all, and all need to be made right with God by His grace, which is a free gift. We'll talk about the fallen short sin part in a minute, but for now, do do you see how we are made right with God? Not because we're good enough, because we all fall short of His glory and His holiness. We're made right with God by grace, which is a, say it with me, a free gift. Now, here's the problem. Ask 100 people on the street, do you believe in heaven? How many people will say yes? Almost everybody. And I'm not just talking about the states. You know, Kim and I have been missionaries. We've traveled most of the world, and we've asked that question in a lot of different places and a lot of different cultures. 98% of people on the planet believe there's an afterlife. They believe that there is an eternal uh, uh, life after this, that there is a supreme being that reigns over that eternal life. That, that's just reality. The problem is not that we believe in heaven. In fact, I ran across a survey the other day from uh, Newsweek magazine. They actually went out and asked the question, and here's what they discovered. When asked, do you believe in heaven, 98% of Americans said yes, and 76% of them said they have a good or excellent chance of getting there. (laughs) Then when they were asked, do you believe in hell, 56% of Americans said yes, I believe in hell, and 6% of them believed they had a good or excellent chance of getting there. (laughs) And they were all my high school buddies. I mean, this is... So what's the problem? I mean, if we all believe there's an eternal life, we all believe there's a heaven to be gained, and vast majority believe there's a hell to be avoided, what's the problem? The problem is how to get there. Because you ask those same people the question, how do you get there? And and I guarantee you, here's what you're going to hear from the majority of them. Well, the way to get to heaven is to do your best to be good. You know, get to heaven, uh, if you do enough good things, you kind of do more good things than bad things. And, And at the end of the day, God will say, okay, you're a good guy, you get to come in. In other words, you've got to do something in order to earn your way in. Is that what the Bible said? It's not what the Bible says. The Bible says it's absolutely free. It's a gift. You don't work for a gift. You, you don't earn a gift. You don't buy a gift. You receive a gift. You accept a gift. Somebody pays for it, but you don't because it's free to you. Does that make sense? I don't know if you realize this or not. But, but the truth of the matter is, there are only two ideas on the entire planet about God. There are only two. I mean, lots of religions and lots of names attached to those religions, but there's only two. There is religion and there is biblical Christianity. There are Christians who fall into the religion camp, but there are only two groups. There's religion and there's biblical Christianity. Every group on the planet, i got some charts for you. Can we bring the chart up? Every group believes that there is a gap between God and man. Do you believe that? That there is something that blocks us from getting to God. If you don't believe it, get yourself in crisis, start praying, and wonder if he's there. I mean, we all have that knowledge that there is a gap. The question becomes, how do you close the gap? That's the second chart that I want you to bring up. Here we go. On the left is religion, and on the right is Christianity. The religions of the world say that if mankind works hard enough, does enough good things, that God will respond to your goodness by giving you grace. 
That's what most religions of the world, that's what they say. In fact, some of them say that if you don't get it right in this life, you get to go again, and you get to go again. And if you do it wussa in this life, then you come back as a cockroach. And, you know, and if you do it, be a good cockroach, you might come back in the next one, you know, as a cow. And if you try hard enough, you'll eventually maybe get it right. I mean, that's what one of the religious systems say. But they all say, if you work hard enough, God will extend his grace. That is not what biblical Christianity says. Biblical Christianity says God gives us grace. Boom, it's yours. We connect to God because of his grace. We then respond to God through our works. Our works are not a means to get grace. They are an act of gratitude because he gave it. Does that make sense? You know the difference between those two things? Hear me, guys. Religion says if you do enough, you might make it. Christianity says you can't do enough to make it. But that's okay, because you don't get to heaven by what you do. You get to heaven by God's free gift. You ready for the R in grace? The R in grace is received by faith. It's God's free gift received by faith. It's free, but it's not automatic. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved. What? Through faith... And it is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. In other words, the gift is free, but you have to believe it in order to receive it. You have to actually believe that that gift is available to you, that God extends his grace to you in order for you to have it. And then he even tells us why God set it up that way. What did he say? So that no one can brag about how they got there. Have you ever thought about what, what heaven would be like if we earned our way there? You ever stop to think about that? I mean, given the insecurities that we all have and the competitive nature that the vast majority of you losers out there have, not me, but you, (laughs) we would be in heaven trying to one-up each other on what we did to get there. Hello. I got here because I tithed faithfully. That's nothing. I had a perfect attendance pin from the bridge. Whoa, man. Whew, that ain't nothing. I volunteered in bridge kids. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Well, I served in the soup kitchen. Whoa, that's great. Thank you so much. Well, you think that's something? I got the trump card. I endured Pastor Jim's stupid jokes and even laughed at them sometimes. <laughs> Hear me, guys. Salvation is not based on your performance, it's based on God's promise. It's not based on your goodness, it's based in God's grace. You will not get to heaven based on your merit. You get there by trusting in God's mercy. Grace is God's gift to us. It is received by faith. Are you ready for the A? This is huge. And it is absolutely essential. It is absolutely essential. Look at Romans chapter 6, verse 23 with me. Let's read it together. One, two, three, go. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's that gift thing again, but now we've defined why the gap exists. And what's the reason? For the wages of sin is death. Now, what's a wage? 
A wage is something you earn for something that you did, right? You, you go to job, you, know, you go to work for a company, and they tell you if you work for us and you do this job, then your wage will be X. And so if you work 40 hours a week, we'll give you your $3.27 paycheck at the end of the week, right? cheap company. But anyway, <laughs> the wage is what you earn because of what you did. So what does the Bible say about sin? Your sin earned a wage, and that wage is death. Now, we all know that, right? But we, you don't have to be a Bible scholar or even a churchgoer to understand that. Sin always pays death. Understand me, guys. Sin is what causes a husband to abuse his wife. And undealt with will lead to the death of the marriage. Sin always pays death. Sin is what causes parents to neglect their children. And if that isn't fixed, those children will be taken from the home and the family will die. Sin always pays death. Sin is what causes neighbors to fight with neighbors over stuff that doesn't eternally matter. And if it isn't dealt with, it will lead to the death of the society. Sin is what causes church members to fight with each other over the, the color of the carpet we're going to put in, which ultimately leads to church splits and the death of a vision. Is this making sense? Sin is ultimately what provokes people to kill other people. That always leads to death. Sin is yucky. It's junky. It always leads to death. Now, here's, here's what I need you to understand that we don't always think about, and that is this. The consequence of sin, we, all know, we know that sin leads to death, but the level of death, if you want to put it that way, the consequence of sin is not just tied to the sin it's tied to the person that you sinned against. Now, kind of get the wheels turning in your head. I want you to think about this. The consequence of the sin, the level of death, if you will, is not just tied to what you did. It's tied to the person that you did it to. Now, we know that on an emotional level. If, for instance, you turn on the TV news and, and you hear about some uh, drug dealer uh, that, uh, that was killed in, in the street you would say, well, that's bad, but on an emotional level, you might say, yeah, he deserved it, right? Kind of glad he's out of the picture, right? There's this emotional thing kind of says, well, it's not good, but okay, I get it. But you let somebody uh, shoot up a school or a church, innocents are killed, and, and we, are, we rise up as well we should. Why? Because the sin, the consequence of the sin is not just the sin, it's tied to who the sin is perpetrated against. We know that on an emotional level, but it's true on a practical level uh, too. So let me illustrate it this way. Pastor Jared, is, is you here somewhere? Pastor Jared is our creative arts pastor. Uh, there he is. Can we welcome Jared to the stage? Jared leads us into worship uh, on Sundays, but that's all he does. He only works for a couple hours a week. And <laughs> Jared's responsible for the beauty of this place quite often, the stage, and he leads uh, the creative pastors for all of our, uh, all of our locations. He's an uh, awesome man of God. And we've become good friends. We're golf buddies, and we're co colleagues, and we work together. And so if I'm just, hey, Jared, how you doing, man? Good to see you, buddy. Hope you're getting along. And right in the middle of that conversation, I just kind of want to do one of those. What's going to happen to our relationship? <laughs> well, assume after I get up off the ground, <laughs> our relationship is strained, wouldn't you say? 
at the very least, trust is broken. And so the next time I come in and say, hey, Jared, how you doing? He's going to go, uh, yeah, yeah, good to see you, man. Because <laughs> he doesn't know what I'm going to do. And if that doesn't get dealt with, if that doesn't get resolved, what happens? Our relationship will ultimately die. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, now, we've got Sheriff Pierce with us today. Sheriff Pierce in the house. Here we Everybody welcome Sheriff Pierce <laughs> to the stage. Sheriff, how are you, sir? Appreciate your service, man. Can we appreciate Sheriff Pierce and all the men and women that he leads and what they do for us? Amen. Thank you, sir. For all the police officers and the first, uh, first responders and all that stuff, we appreciate it so much. So let's say, uh, you know, uh, Brother Pierce is, a, is becoming a good friend. He's one of the elders in our church. We meet once a month for prayer and, and just kind of dialoguing together. If in one of those conversations we're just chatting about stuff and all of a sudden I do a left hook and take him out, what's he going to do? He's going to say, well, Jim, I really like you, but the fact is uh, I've got to take you to jail for assaulting an officer, and now I'm going to jail, and uh, bye, y'all. <laughs> I'm innocent. I didn't actually hit you, sir. <laughs> so I'm going to hire a lawyer. I'm going to go through court. I'm going to serve some time. Any bail bondsmen here can help me get out. Just see me after the services. So what? So I did the same thing. Are you tracking with me? But the consequence is going to the next level because of who I did it to. Okay, we've got a picture to put up on the screen. What if I hammered one of those guys? <laughs> what do you think would happen then? One of his bodyguards would take me out on the spot. I'm dead. Same sin, who it's done to makes a difference in the consequence. You tracking with me? Can we appreciate these guys for helping us out? Uh, Sheriff, can you, uh, Sheriff, can you please help me out? Just talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> he can do this faster, but he's just having fun not doing it fast. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. So here's the question. What's the consequence for thumbing your nose at the God who loves you so much he gave his son for you? What, what's the consequence for saying, I don't care what you did for me on Calvary, Jesus. I'm going to figure this out for myself. I'm going to do it on my terms. I will be the captain of my own fate. What's the consequence for that? Understand who Jesus is and what he does for you. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8 from the NIV, you see at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us Hear me this morning. Jesus didn't die in order to get you to do something. He spoke and the world came into existence. He doesn't need you to do something. He died to give you something that you could not get for yourself. He died 
to rescue you from your own sinfulness because the wages of sin is death. And since we've all sinned, we all need rescuing. Which leads me to the C in grace. Grace is God's gift to us. It is received by faith. You have to believe it in order to receive it. It is absolutely essential because we've all sinned. And C, grace comes through Christ. John chapter 1, verse 17, the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 15, many people have received God's gift of life by the grace of one man, Christ Jesus. And so it all comes through the person of Jesus Christ. My, my favorite illustration of that comes from kind of out of a story that actually is true, uh, and that is back at the turn of the last century, there were some tightrope walkers uh, uh, that stretched a tightrope across the Niagara River adjacent to the Niagara Falls and actually walked the tightrope across the falls. I'm told that actually happened. Um, so just kind of get that picture in your mind. It's a tightrope walker walking out there in the wind and the, and the mist and everything. You've been to the falls, you know it's a great roar that comes from the river. Uh, and if, even if you haven't, you can imagine it. And so these guys are walking across. Now imagine with me what that might have been like at that time. If the tightrope walker walked across the tightrope and there were crowds gathering to hear what he did, and then just imagine that he did it every day, and when he finished the walk every day, he said to the crowds, hey guys, if, how many of you believe I'm the greatest that's ever been? Yes, you're great, you're awesome. Well, go tell your friends and come back tomorrow, because I'm going to do it again. And the crowds grew, and they got bigger and bigger, until finally, everybody said, yeah, yeah, I've seen that before, been there, done that. And, and so he's, he decides to take it to the next level. He says, tomorrow I'm not just going to walk across this tightrope, but I'm actually going to take an animal with me. Well, I do. And so the next day he gets a little puppy dog, and he puts him on his shoulder, and he walks across that tightrope. And the crowd goes crazy again. You are awesome. You're the best tightrope walker that ever lived. He continues that journey until that begins to wane, so he takes it to the next level. He gets a wheelbarrow and puts a bigger animal, like a pig or something, puts that in the wheelbarrow, and he starts walking across that tightrope, and the crowds are going crazy day by day by day. The crowds get bigger and bigger until one day the tightrope walker walks to the edge of the tightrope near the edge of the river, and he looks out across the crowd and said, how many of you believe I'm the best tightrope walker that ever lived? And the crowd goes crazy. How many of you believe I can take anything across? And the crowd goes crazy. And then he says, how many of you believe that I can take a human being across? And the crowd goes crazy. And then he says, who's first? And silence falls over the crowd. <laughs> you got that scene, right? You got that picture in your mind? Change the story a little bit. Same scene, but now imagine that all of sinful humanity is on the Canadian side of the falls, and our gracious, loving God is on the American side of the falls. For my Canadian cousins that are watching online, you can reverse that if you want. It doesn't matter. The rushing river uh, and waterfalls represents the sin 
that we've all acknowledged we have that separates us from God. Now get this picture. God is calling across the roar of the falls, and he's saying, you matter to me. I made you on purpose, for a purpose. And part of that purpose was to give you an abundant life, a fulfilling kind of life. And I know there's a gap. I know there's a distance between us. But my son, Jesus, has earned the right to close that gap. He's earned the right to bring you over to my side so that we can be in relationship together. And so I'm going to give you 24 hours to get across, plenty of time. But you understand you've got to cross in order to be in relationship with me throughout eternity. So just get in the wheelbarrow. Let Jesus bring you over. You can trust him. He's never dropped anybody. He's really good at this. He's done it lots of times. Just get in the wheelbarrow. Now imagine Jesus is standing on the tightrope, looking out across the crowds, and he's saying, you, you know who I am. See the scars in my hands? See the scars on my brow where they pressed the crown of thorns into my head? But hear me, knowing about me isn't enough. you got to trust me. you got to trust what I've done for you. Um, so, who's first? Come on, you, you know it's true. Who's first? And at first the crowd stays silent. In time they start talking among themselves, and they actually start breaking up into groups of like-minded kind of people. The academics start intellectualizing or intellectualizing this whole process. They start asking really deep questions like, is there really a God? Is there really a gap between God and man? Is there really man? Is there really is? So they're deep. They're really deep. The activists, of course, are tearing their shirts off, and they're testing the current. They're saying, man, if we, if we swim hard enough at this angle, I bet we can do it on our own. The good old boys, you know, they're smoking cigarettes and drinking beer. They're saying, I think God's bluffing. I think we got more than 24 hours. He won't scare me. But they smoke a lot. The Wheeler dealers, of course, have got their cell phones out, and they're trying to charter a helicopter to take them over. The engineers are plotting how to build a bridge that will take them across this river, and some just decide to get high and ignore the whole thing. And all the while, Jesus is standing there saying, see my hands, see my feet. You know who I am. Finally, one young boy jumps up and shouts to the crowd, I'm going. I'm, I'm going. I know who he is. I know what he's done. I know he can take me safely to the Father. I'm going. I, I, I'm just going to trust him. And he jumps in the wheelbarrow, and you know what happens. 
He says to Jesus, I'm so sorry that it was my sinfulness that separated me from God, but I'm so thankful that you made the way for me to be rescued from my own sinfulness. Thank you for taking me across. I trust you, Jesus. And you know what he does. He takes him across and he presents him to the Father, forgiven, just as if he'd never sinned. And then the little boy looks across the river back to the crowd. And he says, hey, guys. You can do this. It'll be the best decision you ever made. You can trust him. He won't drop you, I promise. You can trust him. He will bring you to the Father. Can I tell you the reason I love that story? Because I was the little boy that got in the wheelbarrow a little over 50 years ago. And I've given my life to trusting him. And I've never regretted it once. Never once. Well, I've had some regrets, but I've never regretted that decision. Come on. In fact, I've said many times before, if there was no such thing as heaven, and there is, but if there was no such thing as heaven, this is still the best life there is. This is the best lifestyle that's available to you. And we get eternity on the other side. So here's what I'm going to do before I give you the last point. I got to stop. I just I feel compelled to do it. I want you to bow your heads with me and close your eyes. I don't want anybody looking around just in the quietness. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to make you get up in front of anybody. But I want you to close your eyes and picture Jesus standing on the tightrope. And he's saying to you, will you trust me? Maybe you've never prayed a prayer like this before in your life. Maybe you did a long time ago, but somewhere along the way you picked up the mantle of I'm going to do this my own way. Maybe you just kind of pushed it away and ignored it for a long time, but here you are now confronted with the person of Jesus Christ who's inviting you to come. With nobody looking, just me and you and God for a second. Would you pray a prayer with me? You can pray silently or aloud. It's fine. He hears your heart. You can pray in your own words. But let it go something like that little boy's prayer. Jesus, I'm sorry that my sin earned the wage of death and that you paid it. I'm glad you did. Sorry you had to. And I just ask that you accept me just the way I am right now. The good, the bad, and the ugly, just accept me the way I am. I've decided to trust you with my forever. So forgive me of my sin and give me a fresh start right now. Right now. In Jesus' name, amen. You can lift your heads. Here's what I want you to hear me say. By authority of God's word, if you prayed that prayer right then, you believed it in your heart, you're willing to confess it with your mouth, the Bible says he just rescued you, and you get a fresh start. You get a new beginning. You get a clean slate. All that junk 
as far as God is concerned, is justified, just as if you never did it. The musicians are coming, and they're going to lead us in closing song this morning. While they're coming, there is one more point in this grace thing that I want to make sure you get. What is grace? Grace is God's gift to us. It's received by faith. You have to believe it before you can receive it. It's absolutely essential because we've all sinned. It comes through Jesus Christ and Him alone. And finally, grace enhances your life forever. John 10.10, I like the way the message paraphrases that Jesus said, a thief is only here to steal and kill and destroy. Satan came to bring death. Jesus came, he said, to give eternal life. I came so you can have real and eternal life, more and better than they ever dreamed of. Real life now. Not going through the motions of life, but living kind of life now. And eternal life forever. In the next five weeks, we're going to unpack this thing called Amazing Grace in a lot more detail. I hope you'll make plans to be with us and be a part of that journey. I recognize uh, that we're busy people. We have to prioritize what we commit to, but I'm asking you to Sincerely consider between Mao and Mother's Day, join us for this dialogue. For now, look at this verse and we'll close. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Guys, He's not mad at you for messing up. He's broken by what your failures have cost you, but He's not mad at you. He's gracious and compassionate, waiting for you to accept His grace. So while we sing, the ushers are going to come. They're going to move among you this morning. Church family, here's your opportunity to worship with tithe and offering. Uh, guests, don't feel obligated to give. This, this offering is not for you. This service is our gift to you. But I'm going to ask all of you to let me know if you prayed that prayer today. Take your Connect card right now. There's a place you can check a box on the thing. I committed my life to Christ. If you can't find a box, then just write on there. I did it. I prayed that prayer. Just say, I prayed that prayer so I can know, so I can pray for you this week. I want to know. Maybe you want to use your smartphone. There's a text. You can just send us uh, the words new life uh, to 55498. Just let us know so I can pray for you. The Bible says, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and you will be rescued from your own sinfulness. Let us know. We're going to pray, give you the opportunity to make that commitment one time, one final time, and then Pastor Jared's going to come with the team and lead us in closing song. Father, thank you for the privilege to know that we get fresh starts with you. Help us to let go of this idea that if we work hard enough, we can finally earn it and just embrace grace. Thank you for every person in this room and every person online who's made that commitment today. I pray blessing over them and all of us as we go forward until you come to receive us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we stand together?